You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Stem cell research is making new advances every day and will continue to make advances in the future. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. James L. Shirley, Associate Professor of Biological Engineering at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Dr. Shirley is a recognized expert in the field of adult stem cell research. Welcome, Dr. Shirley. Thank you. Today we are discussing stem cell research. Dr. Shirley, the field of genetic engineering and stem cell research, how are they different and how do they overlap? Oh, that's really a great question because the idea of genetic engineering has been around for a long time. And uh, the basic idea is that you use the techniques that we have available to alter either the genes in a cell or the gene expression in the cell. And I guess probably for clinicians, the best example of those approaches have been what was referred to as gene therapy. So these are examples where DNA, which contains the material that is composes genes, is transferred uh, into cells in a person's body to correct some inherent genetic defect. So the relationship between this uh, and stem cells is because stem cells represent what I would call the new frontier for cellular therapy, where the idea is that there's a problem in the body and one wants to fix it by putting in cells. And the way these two come together is that if you think about it, if you're missing, for instance, a cell that can allow your body to make blood cells, in this case a stem cell, that hematopoietic stem cell, when you transfer bone marrow from a donor to a recipient, you're not just transferring cells, you're also transferring the genes in those cells and the genetic program in those cells. So in some way, cell therapy is inherently gene therapy. And the way the two come together is that if you want to have a gene change in a person's body that is going to be stable, that change has to take place in a stable cell in the body, and those stable cells are stem cells. So for a long time, uh, people who have wanted to do gene therapy have wanted to do it in the blood system where the stem cell is known, hematopoietic stem cells. So if one introduces genes into hematopoietic stem cells and then transfers those as a transplant to a recipient, the recipient not only gives the cells, it gets the genetic changes that are in those cells. So these two fields are actually moving out along in parallel, and you can think of them as, as actually enabling one another. Will they come together as time and research progresses? I think, you know, there have been some problems with uh, gene therapy. Uh, the big one is cancer. Uh, and the fact that, you know, the problems that have happened in terms of uh, unexpected uh, adverse effects that have happened in gene therapy trials, and that's really set those trials back. Stem cell therapy is facing a, a similar kind of a problem. That is the issue of putting cells into the body. And because those cells have genetic material, there's a potential that those cells can also become cancerous. Is stem cell research still in its infancy? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you're in a field like this, you think to yourself, well, we're at the forefront of this field. How can it be, infant? How can it be an infant field? You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, depending on the time scale that you look at biomedical research, I mean, as sophisticated as we think we are, we're actually really, really rather primitive. So I'd have to answer yes, it is in its infancy. If you focus on adult stem cell research, for instance, there's just a lot of things that we can't do and that we don't know. So an adult stem cell has this remarkable ability to divide into two cells, and one of the cells is going to go off and do something entirely different, and the other cell will be unchanged from the parent. Now, there's a lot of understanding of how cell division gives rise to two different cells. I mean, there's so much of this in development and during development where a cell divides, you get two cells 
you know, an A and a B cell, they're different than one another, but they're also both different than the parent. But these adults themselves have some mechanism for remembering who they were after they divide. And we have no understanding of that at all. So, uh, yeah, I think this field is in its infancy. How long has stem cell research been going on actively? You know, I think most people would say that the experiments of McCullough and Till in the late 50s, probably the mark of the beginning of our, what you would call formally stem cell research. Let me throw out a question to you. When I was taking embryology and did some research in that field, the, the classic saying, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny, was, was always stated. Why is that so? Well, it has to do with the fact that when you look at early embryos, you look at embryonic development, no matter what species you're looking at, they all look very similar. And so the idea is that as you go through development, organisms look very similar, even organisms that ultimately, when they develop, are going to be very, very different. So humans, if we put us at the top of the sort of developmental functionality chain and we were to compare ourselves to something, I don't know, some lower mammal, the mouse would be a good example. If you look at the embryos at very early stages of ontology, ontogeny, early stages of development, they look similar in terms of their species differences. Does that have any applicability to stem cell research? I don't know that it does. One of the things I think that has been useful is that the things that we can learn in model systems like such as the mouse, where the most amount of embryonic stem cell research has been done, many of those things that are learned in the embryo, the information is in fact transferable to the human embryo. And so to that extent that, you know, the phylogeny actually is, you know, recapitulates, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny, that feature has actually been very useful in terms of the research effort. The problem is, is that there isn't a one-to-one correspondence. So there's a lot of things that have been learned as well in the mouse embryo that are not applicable to the human embryo. What do you mean exactly? Well, I mean, what I guess what I mean is that, for instance, right now it's possible to do cloning experiments, for instance, in the mouse embryo. And cloning is this embryonic approach of taking a, an egg, removing the nuclear material in the egg, and then putting in a complete somatic nucleus and having this new artificial zygote, in fact, develop as an embryo. That's been worked out in the mouse. It has not been worked out in the human, and it's not for lack of people trying. And whether you think that's an acceptable experiment or or ethically responsible experiment or not, from the standpoint of the science, it's one of those examples where what you find happens in the mouse doesn't happen very well in the human. The other examples would be in terms of uh, drug development, where compounds which can be absolutely toxic to cells in in the rat will have no effect on human cells in the first vice versa. So there are lots of examples where what we learn in, in animal models does not translate very well to humans at all, and that's the, the shortcoming of animal models. The general field of cloning, how is that associated with stem cell research? Is it at all? When you say the general field of cloning, if you're talking about cloning research in, in embryos, it is the driver for, currently, it is the driver for a lot of embryonic stem cell, proposed embryonic stem cell therapies. Could you expand upon that? Yeah, so probably one of the most well-publicized proposals for embryonic stem cell therapy is something referred to as therapeutic cloning. And now, cloning, again, as I said earlier, is the process of taking a nucleus with a complete genome from a somatic cell, from a mature cell, and placing it into the cytoplasm of an egg. And at a very low efficiency, that artificial zygote will develop into an embryo. And if you grow that embryo up to the stage where embryonic stem cells can be derived, you can destroy it and make embryonic stem cells. So those are cloned embryonic stem cells. So 
the idea of therapeutic cloning is that those stem cells could then be used to provide therapy to the donor of the nucleus. So just to go over this again, the, the way the theory goes is let's say you're a patient, you have a problem in one of your mature tissues. You need a source of cells to cure it, but there isn't one. So what would happen is you would take nuclei from some of your normal mature cells. Those nuclei would be put into a donor egg. An embryo would be developed. Embryonic stem cells would be made. And then theoretically, those embryonic stem cells would be used to repair your tissue. Now, what would happen if you put that same nucleus in an adult stem cell? I don't know the answer to that question. It's an interesting one that I don't think I've ever heard anyone pose. You know, practically speaking, it's a difficult experiment to do because, you know, the eggs is huge cytoplasm with a little bit of nuclear material. But most uh, adult stem cells are, in fact, fairly small cells with a small amount of cytoplasm. So technically, difficult thing to accomplish. But if we do the thought experiment, theoretically, it's possible that that adult stem cell cytoplasm might reprogram the nucleus from a mature cell. It's the question of what's the basis for the programming. If there's cytoplasmic factors that are responsible for it, it could do it. Now, there have been some experiments done that sort of speak to this, not in adult cells, but in embryonic cells, where you can take two cells of different type and fuse them together, then ask what are the properties of the product. So if you were to take an experiment you've, you've suggested here now is to take an adult stem cell, fuse it with a somatic cell, and ask whether the two nuclei, if the somatic cell nuclei is re- reprogrammed in that fusion event. I don't know if that experiment's been done, but it would be an interesting one to do. What would you expect? What would be the basis for the programming? Well, you know, I have to say that the egg is a very special cell. I mean, it has to have all of these materials saved up to initiate a process that for a while is going to run under its own steam of factors that are there. Now, in somatic cells, uh, there clearly are some factors in the cytoplasm that will have some impact on what happens in the nucleus. The question is whether they are sufficient to completely reprogram another nucleus. I don't know that anyone's done an experiment of that type. It would be of interest to, to know what the outcome is. I mean, it, it speaks to this question of how does an adult stem cell know that it's an adult stem cell? Is yes. it because of factors in the cytoplasm? Is it because of things in the nucleus? Is it both? Does one dominate over the other? Based on my biological experience, it's going to be both things going on. What the balance is, it will be hard to say. I want to thank Dr. James Shirley, who has been our guest. We have been discussing stem cell research. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.